verses we read in, in Luke chapter 7. I wonder if you've ever been really amazed at something. I mean really amazed. Maybe visiting a place and you, you've driven around a bend in the road and there's this amazing sight in front of you and you stand with your, your mouth wide open thinking, isn't this really astonishing? Or you see your favourite player scoring a goal that you never thought was, uh, was possible. And you just stand and you look at it and you think to yourself, how did he do that? How did she do that? We get amazed at all kinds of things. And there is a sense in which you find you just can't, you just can't get your head around this spectacular thing that you've seen. When Jesus was here on earth, we can read of how people were amazed at him. They were amazed at what he did. They were amazed at what he said. But there are two occasions in the Gospels where we read that Jesus was amazed. One of them you can read in Mark chapter 6. He went home to Nazareth, town that he was brought up in, where he grew up as a, as a boy and as a young man. And he was invited into the synagogue to, to read. And he read the scriptures and then preached about it. And the people were really, were really taken by what he said because they were offended at him. Who does he think he is? This, this, is, this is Joseph's son. This is the carpenter's boy. And they really tried not just to get rid of him. They tried to get rid of him permanently by taking him over to a cliff. And we read this, that Jesus was amazed because they had no faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. And the other occasion in which we read of Jesus being amazed is this chapter here in, in chapter 7 of Luke's Gospel. Jesus has come to Capernaum. And in Capernaum, he heals the slave, the servant of a Roman centurion. Now, now the emphasis in this story is not on the healing. The emphasis in the story is the, the one character apart from Jesus who is at the forefront, and that is this Roman centurion, this Roman soldier. And, and I want us to look at this man and, and two things about him, really, that I want you to focus with me on. The first is the th thing that we are told about him is his character. I don't know whether you've ever been asked to write a character reference for anybody. You know, sometimes it's easy. And sometimes it's very hard because you really feel that you couldn't commend this person to anybody. But here is a character reference. As you read through these verses, we're, we're being told this amazing man, the, the amazing points about this man's life. The person who was sick and his house was a slave or a servant. They, they, they had no individual rights. They were usually looked upon as, as nothing more as a possession and the owner could do with his slave or servant what he liked, even kill them and there would be no accountability in law. And it's rare, therefore, to find a slave held in any regard. Most of them were treated with cruelty. But here's something different. Here is a centurion, a Roman centurion of the Roman occupying army. And he values this slave highly. 
it says in the NIV. The authorised version says, his slave was dear to him. He held him in esteem. He, he cared for him. He was anxious about his welfare. He was interested in him when he was ill. He didn't want to lose him in death. He wanted to do everything he could to help him. So right from the start, you, you find a man that is characterized by, by, by a different attitude from those around him. Here is a man who, who is kind and compassionate and understanding and concerned even for a slave. But then there's also his attitude to God's people. He, he had evidently heard about Jesus. He heard about what Jesus had been doing and had a deep regard for Jesus. And he wants to make contact with Jesus. But look at what he does. In verse 3, we read this, that he sent some elders of the Jews on his behalf to Jesus. The fact that he did that and the fact that they actually went are highly significant. Such was his regard, their regard for each other, that he was ready to ask them and they were ready to go. And they try to explain this to Jesus when they come. This man deserves to have you do this because he loves our nation. Now that was interesting. The Romans were the occupying force. The Romans hated the Jews. They despised them highly. Of course, the Jews reciprocated. They hated the, the Romans. So in, in the context, what you find here is something so strange. These Jews held this Roman centurion in high regard, and he had them in high regard. We don't, we don't know why he was attracted to the Jewish religion for some reason or another. But there had been between them this, this, this movement where this Roman soldier was interested in the God of the Jews and his word and worship and that they weren't putting him off. And his interest shows itself in commitment the Jews, when they come to Jesus, not only say this man deserves you to do this because he loves our nation, but they also add this, and he has built our synagogue. Wow, a Roman centurion built our place of worship. He's not content with, with words and, and thoughts. He, he is generous and he makes provision for this synagogue in, in, in the town of Capernaum. And the other thing is he's a man characterized by real humility. The Jewish leaders certainly thought highly of this man, for when they come to, to Jesus, they said, this man deserves to have you do this. But that's not his opinion of himself. For in the response to the request of the Jews, Jesus begins to make his way to the centurion's home, and the centurion sends a message through some of his friends telling him, Lord, don't trouble yourself. I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. He is reluctant to have Jesus in his home because he knows 
He knows of the greatness of Jesus and the holiness of Jesus and the power of Jesus. And even to think of this amazing teacher under his roof overwhelms him with a deep sense of personal unworthiness. What a humbling thing it must have been for this Roman centurion to ask the Jewish leaders to go on his behalf to speak to a Jewish teacher. You know, my friends, when you think of all of this, he's quite an outstanding character, isn't he? A man who is characterized by compassion and concern, who is, in quotation marks, religious, who, who is generous, who is humble, who is respectful of Jesus. So much commendable. But the essential thing to note that it isn't any of these things, or not even all of them together, is what causes Jesus to be amazed. So the second thing we're told is this about this man. is his faith. And that's what Jesus was amazed at. And what's clear here, here's a man who had enough faith in Jesus to even make him approach Jesus. He had enough faith in Jesus to recognize that Jesus had the power to heal. If he had not had that faith, if he had not had that conviction, he wouldn't have made any approach to Jesus at all. He was totally convinced that Jesus had the ability to heal his slave and save him from dying. And that faith recognizes the power of Jesus and he's ready to trust Jesus to do for his slave what was needed. And Jesus knew that. He could see that. But it is as his, Jesus is making on his way to this man's home that that faith expresses itself in the astounding message he sends with his friends. Don't trouble yourself. I do not consider myself worthy to have you come under my roof. But say the word and my servant will be healed. He's enough faith in Jesus to say to Jesus, look, you don't have to come to my house. You don't, you don't have to meet my slave. You don't have to see him. You don't have to touch him. I am totally convinced, Jesus, that all you have to do is speak a word and that will be enough. And he knows from his own experience in the army life what it was like. He had to obey his superiors his inferiors had to obey him. And he's saying to Jesus, disease has to obey you. You are the one with power and authority to dispel the illness by one word of command. That's all he asked for. He doesn't ask for a sign. He doesn't ask for anything. He doesn't ask for proof that his word would be fulfilled. He just simply says to Jesus, you say the word and my servant will be healed. What trust, what complete confidence in the power of Jesus, what complete reliance on Jesus' word. He trusts him completely. And we read Jesus' reaction was he was amazed. Imagine that. He marveled at what this Gentile centurion 
was doing, and he said these amazing words, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Not one in Israel among the people of God. You see, what, what makes this man outstanding in Jesus' eyes, what commends him to Jesus, what it is that 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 brings Jesus to this estimation of him. It's just simply his faith, the sheer trust in Jesus and in the power of Jesus. And of course, that faith has its reward in verse 10. When the men arrive back at the home, the servant is well. If there is one lesson, and there's more than one lesson, but if there is one lesson that you and I can draw out of this incident It has to do with what Jesus sees when he looks at our life. At any life, at our lives. What what does Jesus actually see? What what is really important about us? Remember again the fine qualities of this man's life. He's an amazing character. Characterized by goodness and, and uprightness in his actions and in his attitudes. A man whose whole conduct, whose whole behavior is highly commendable. He's a most attractive person. But what Jesus saw, and when Jesus saw it, he was absolutely delighted with amazement. Was this man's faith. Because that's the most important thing in any life. I have found so many people who live the most attractive lives. They have the highest moral standards. They live by those standards. People who are characterized by the utmost kindness, people who are generous, considerate, understanding, compassionate, people who have a great interest in religion, People who hold Jesus Christ in the highest regard, they are remarkable people and wonderful people and there's so much about them that is admirable. And there may be some of them here. But you know, my friend, it is possible to be like this and not have faith in Jesus. And because that's lacking, all those other things become utterly meaningless. The vital thing, the vital thing is missing. Well, what about us? What about you and me? Are you honest in all your dealings with people? Generous in giving to good causes? Respected in the community and in the neighborhood and where you work or where you study. Attend church regularly. When someone looks for volunteers to do things, you're first in the line. But when it comes to faith in Jesus, trusting in him, where are you? You know, the problem with so many people is that they are trusting in all those things I've just highlighted. In their respectability, in their churchianity, in their high moral standards. That's what they're trusting in. 
And if you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, they'll fail. But what is this faith? You know, this faith is, is illustrated in this, in this very incident. He, here's a man who has a problem. And it's a problem he can't deal with. And he realizes that there is someone who can deal with that problem. So what does he do? He reaches out to that person. You know, for us it means accepting that whatever else we may think of ourselves or other people may think of us, we are sinners before a holy God. We have sinned against him and we deserve God's punishment for that sin and we can do nothing about it. Nothing at all about it by ourselves. It means recognizing that Jesus Christ, his son, died in our place and bore our sins and punishment on the cross. It, it means recognizing not only that Jesus has done all of that, but believing that Jesus is able to deal with my sin, with our sin, and trusting him personally to do that. Knowing that with one word, that's what he can do. When we talk about saving faith, that's what we mean. It's not faith that saves, by the way. Faith doesn't save. Jesus saves. And it's what Jesus has done that we reach out to with a hand of faith and take for ourselves as a free gift. That's saving faith. Now, I know people who, who say to me, you know, I have got faith. And I have to ask them, faith in what? Faith in who? That there is an object of faith. Sometimes people talk about faith as some kind of vague and ambiguous kind of subjective feeling of optimism. That's not faith in Jesus. Faith in Jesus has him. Has him. And you may think to yourself, well, this is something I can take or leave. But it isn't. Listen to these words in Hebrews. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Remember? Without faith, it is impossible to please God. I wonder how many of us are really working like that. We're trying to please God, hoping that in some way he might treat us differently. But without faith, that's impossible. The challenge of this is a question I want to leave with you personally. Do I have this faith? I want you to ask yourself that question. Do, do I have that faith? Am I trusting in Jesus? Have I committed my life to him? Have I received what he has done for me on the cross and in his resurrection? Is it mine? As Jesus looks at your life today, my friend, what does he see? What does he do? Does he see that faith and trust in him? Are we like this Roman centurion? Or are we like those people in Nazareth in the synagogue who turned their back on him and said no? Are you trusting in Jesus to forgive you all your sin? 
trusting in Jesus to keep you every day you live in his power. Trusting him that one day he will take you home to be with him forever. If you don't have that, what do you have that is worthwhile and lasting? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this incident in the life of Jesus. We thank you for this dear man that we've been thinking about today and and for the example that he shows us and the teaching that you give to us by your spirit through it. Lord, we pray that you would enable us to hear today not, not, not a human voice and words with all their limitation and, and weakness. But Lord, that we hear your voice speaking to us in the quietness of our hearts. Lord, if we need to be brought to that place today, bring us to that place. Or even before we leave this building, we do something that we have never ever done in our life before. And we put our trust and our faith in Jesus, as Savior and as Lord and as friend. And we ask this, Lord, only, only for your glory. Amen. We're going to sing together this version of this version of the 23rd Psalm with the refrain that comes again and again. And I will trust in you alone. And if you really mean that, sing it. If you really mean it. Let's sing together. Mm-hmm.